Jacob was a cracked pot. He cheated his brother out of his birthright, conspired with his mother, and tricked his blind father into giving him the firstborn's blessing. If Jacob could sell you swampland in Florida, he would. So how did a con man become a hero of the faith? After an all-night wrestling match with God on the banks of the Jabbok River, Jacob lost but lived. God gave him a new name, Israel, and a new limp in his get-along as a constant reminder of his new identity. Like Jacob, we all possess deep personal flaws, make mistakes, and struggle to do what is right in God's eyes. We are jars of clay and sinners saved by God's amazing grace. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. He fooled his brother. He deceived his father. He was a trickster and a swindler. And then one day, he picked a fight with God. Hello, and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for tuning in. Today, Ron takes us once again to the story of Jacob, a con man in his early years, a hero of the faith later on. How did this transformation come about? Find out next as Ron continues his teaching series, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org where you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand. From Genesis chapter 32, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Jacob Wrestling with God. Jacob got together with his mother and they, they tricked Isaac into giving the blessing, the blessing that belonged to the firstborn. Jacob received that from Isaac. And then uh, a little bit later, you know, Jacob, Jacob goes off and he, uh, he meets his wife, Rachel. And um, uh, he, he sets his eyes on Rachel and she's beautiful and he wants Rachel to be his wife. And Rachel's father, Laban, uh, who was, uh, well, I'm getting this all mixed up here, but somebody's uncle in the line here, okay? And um, Jacob, once Rachel says, I'll, I'll, work, I'll work for you, Laban, for seven years, and um, you give me your daughter, Rachel. Seven years came. And now, you know, what goes around comes around. You ever heard that? Now Laban tricks Jacob slides in Leah, the eldest daughter. She's kind of the ugly ducking of the family, you know? I mean, Jacob didn't even look at Leah. But Laban wasn't about to have Rachel get married before Leah. And so Jacob, the trickster, has a trick turned on him. Uh, he's, he's livid after this, and he does, you know, does another deal with Laban. I'll work now for another seven years for Rachel. But now, 14 years into this, you know, he's, he's feeling, you know, turned on by his father-in-law, Laban. And the final way that Laban or that Jacob is a trickster, we're up to Genesis 31 now, is he, he does a little trick with Laban and his flocks, okay? And by the time Jacob decides to leave his father-in-law's uh, business and his home, 
Also, during that time, Laban had tricked uh, Jacob out of uh, his wages. At one time, Jacob says to his wife, your dad cheated me out of my wages, changed my wages ten times. Well, Jacob, what goes around comes around, okay? And then uh, he, he gets his, his father-in-law back one more time and tricks him out of some of his flocks. And, and Jacob leaves his father-in-law a wealthy, wealthy man. That brings us up to Genesis chapter 31, Genesis chapter 32, and Jacob's trickster ways now are starting to catch up with him. He's got Laban, his father-in-law, behind him, just as mad as a hornet for being tricked out of his flocks and all of that. And then as, as Jacob is traveling this direction, he, he learns that his brother Esau, whom he hasn't seen in years, but the last time they were together, it wasn't good that Esau is in front of him, coming toward him. And it's all coming to roost. The chickens are coming to roost on old Jacob. And he's, he's caught in the middle here, and he's stressed. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 32. At the front end, uh, Jacob tries to appease his brother Esau, and he sends his family and all of his flocks and possessions in a series of caravans gifts to his brother Esau just to appease him and hope that he, he might come in peace because he doesn't know what kind of mood Esau is in. And he divests himself of all of his family. He sends them across the river Jabbok and over, you know, with all of his possessions, all of his flocks, all of his family. And Jacob is left all alone on this side of the river. And he camps out there for a night. And that's the night he wrestles with God. And what a wrestling match it is. Have you ever wrestled with God? And if you did, what would it look like? What would that experience be like? Let's learn from Jacob. I read his story and I say, you know, if I'm ever in a wrestling match with God, first I, I need to be, I'll probably be empty and alone before God. God gets us in a place where we're empty and we're all alone with him. Look at it in verse uh, 22 again of Exodus 32. The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives and his two female servants, and he left his 11 children, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone, away from his family, away from his possessions, He's on one side of the river, and he's all by himself. You know, the times that I've wrestled with the Lord over things, it's been, it's been those, those times when I have felt all alone, like there's nobody else that can make this decision. All, all of the um, uh, props that I have in my life, whether my family or ministry colleagues, you know, they're gone or they're away, and, and you're just kind of left alone before God. Uh, some people call this the dark night of the soul. You ever experienced one of those dark nights of the soul where the Lord has just kind of cornered you in? You, you feel empty. You feel all alone before Him. And, and there you are in the middle of the night. Jacob wasn't sleepless in Seattle. No, he, he was sleepless at the river Jabbok. And that dark night of the soul, um, that phrase comes from the title of a poem written in the 16th century by St. John of the Cross. 
The treatise describes a soul's journey from birth to his eternal union with God. The journey happens at night as a metaphor of those, those dark times we all experience. And yes, sometimes even the most dedicated, faithful followers of Jesus experience those, those dark nights of the soul where you just feel all alone. As much as you try to get connected with community and the body of Christ, it's still it's a time when you, you just feel all alone and, and you wrestle with God. That's where Jacob was. So not only expect to be empty and alone, but secondly, when you're wrestling with God, anticipate a struggle and pain. Let's read on here. Verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. By the way, the, the man who wrestled with Jacob, as you go further in the story, most Bible teachers and scholars see this as a pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But this man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, all night long, through the dark of the night, they're in this cosmic wrestling match together. And Jacob wouldn't let go. Jacob was a formidable, you know, opponent. And the man didn't prevail. So what did he do? He injured him, touched the hip of his socket, dislocated his socket. Kind of reminds me of Mike Tyson who, who, who bit that one, you know, guy's ear off. You know, if you can't win, just, you know, injure him some way. And this is what happens here. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes God has to wound us, doesn't he? You say, oh, pastor, you got to be kidding me. Why, why would God ever do something like that? It was A.W. Tozer who says, I, could, I can hardly imagine God using a person greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And that happens on occasion. I'm getting ahead of the story, but for the rest of Jacob's life, he's going to walk with a hitch in his get-along, all right? He, he's, he's wounded. He's wounded. You might be a cracked pot here this morning because there's some deep, deep wound in your life, and God wants to heal that. He wants to touch it. He doesn't want you to forget it because out of our woundedness, out of our brokenness, out of our hurt, uh, His glory shines and, and his, his power shines and flows through us, doesn't it? But when we wrestle with God, when he's sanctifying us in a deeper, deeper kind of way, sometimes he has to touch an area of our life, maybe take away something that has become too precious to us, that has replaced our devotion to him and him alone. Some wound in our life, he will use that wound. Sometimes it's a wound that others have inflicted upon us. Sometimes it's, it's, it's God touching us even ever so gently in a place that leaves a reminder there, and a wound. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Jacob Wrestling with God. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources like the series that you're hearing right now, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. That's Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. 
The entire audio download of this series can be yours today as our thank you for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now, here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good radio message. Jacob wrestling with God. Jacob would never forget this night. Every time he took a step with a little hitch, He was reminded of the time he wrestled with God. Let's move on a little bit. Third thing that happens when you wrestle with God, you gotta come to that point where you surrender. You surrender but for a blessing. Look at it in verse 26. Then Jacob said, let me go for the day has broken. Actually, the man said that to Jacob. Let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, the problem is too many of us give up too soon. We're clinging to God. We're wrestling with Him. We've we've got Him, you know, we think we're we're there. Jacob wouldn't let go. Even though the sun began to creep up over the horizon and the man said, okay, Jacob, this match is over with. Ding, ding. All right. He said, no. I will not let you go unless you bless me. (laughs) I have to smile here a little bit because Jacob is still making deals, isn't he? Hey, the trickster is coming out, you know, the deal maker, the manipulator. I'll make a deal with you here. But it was a moment of surrender for Jacob. And here's the irony in the Christian life. When you surrender... When you surrender that area of your life that you're wrestling with over God, when you're willing to say, not my will, but yours be done, when you surrender, you win. That's the irony of the Christian life. Victory comes and blessing comes in the Christian life through surrender. And that's why we sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. Where where is that point in your life where you say, I surrender? You may think it's a moment of defeat. The world may think it's a moment of defeat. It's not. It's a moment of victory. In fact, later in the text, it says Jacob prevailed. He prevailed. Which leads me to the fourth thing that happens when you wrestle with God. When you move through that time of surrender, all right, when you allow him to touch that area of your life that may feel a little wounded, a little broken, okay, then you're ready to walk in your new identity. Look what happens in verse 27 and following. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. First time the Hebrew people were named Israel. Up to this point, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, We never hear any reference in the Genesis record to the God of Israel until after this time. 
Your name shall be Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, Jacob's name meant deceiver, trickster, liar, prankster, manipulator, heel catcher. Israel means he struggled with God. Just a little side note here, and I was thinking this week maybe of some irony here. I, I don't know if this is the case or not. Adolf Hitler wrote an anti-Semitic tome called Mein Kampf, which translated means my struggle. Here, one of the most evil despots to ever walk this earth, a hater of the Jewish people, a hater of Israel, says, let me tell you about my struggle with those people who struggled with God. What irony in that. But what victory for Jacob, who now has a name change. Jacob, you're no longer identified with your past. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. You've got a little wound in your hip there, and you'll never forget how, how you wrestled with God. And through this, I, I sanctified a part of you. Jacob, you're going to go forward from this point. You're not going to be the deceiver and the trickster and the liar and the manipulator you used to be. You are my chosen Israel. Later in the Old Testament, the Lord uh, describes his love for Israel. Israel, my bride. He has uh, the affection for Israel as a groom would have uh, toward his bride. And Jacob, Jacob of all people, gets this name. Interestingly enough, again, we don't hear any reference to the God of Israel until Genesis chapter 33 and verse 12, after the wrestling match. It really kind of an indication that up to this point, Jacob's faith was, was not as personal as it needs to be. He kind of rode the uh, faith of his daddy Isaac, his granddaddy Abraham. Maybe you've been thinking, yeah, I'm all right with God. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And when somebody asks you why, you, know, you immediately go to, well, you know, my granddaddy, he was, he was quite a person of faith. Or my grandma, you know, she was quite a person of faith. But it isn't personal to you yet. This was the night it became very personal to Jacob. And from this day forward, Jacob the trickster, Jacob the deceiver, no more. That's in the rearview mirror. But uh, Jacob, who struggled with God, walking in his new identity, you become a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that old things are passed away. All things have become new. There's a brand new you. Not a, not a new and improved you. Brand new you. You have a new identity in Christ. You're not who you once were. You're not defined by your past. Whatever might have defined you. But you're defined by your new relationship with God in Jesus Christ. So, sometimes, sometimes it takes a wrestling match. And maybe you're here this morning and, and <laughs> you know, you, you, thought, you thought you were just coming for some duck donuts this morning, right? But there's been some wrestling going on in your heart. Just be honest with yourself. It's a time to be honest with God and to say, all right, Lord, I, I've been wrestling with this for long enough. I surrender. You win. That means I win. 
Let the blessing flow, the victory come. Not my will, but yours be done. For some of you, that means coming to the foot of the cross today as a sinner who needs a Savior. For others of you, ah, there's something, something in your life that maybe only you and God know that needs to be surrendered to Him. Let, let Him into that area. Let Him touch that area. Let Him wound you if necessary in order to sanctify you and mold you into the image of Christ and into all that He created you to be in the first place. Will there be some struggle? Yeah. Will there be some pain? Yes. But you'll never be the same from that moment forward, from that day forward. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good message, Jacob wrestling with God. Well, Ron, the question I have for you today is a little off the subject, but it does concern Jacob. And it's a question many people have no doubt asked you about over the years. In Romans 9, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. It's also mentioned in the book of Malachi. What are we to make of that statement? Well, Brian, the first thing we need to understand is that after his wrestling match with God, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. So anytime we see the name Jacob mentioned in prophecy and in the New Testament, it almost always refers to Israel. Conversely, Esau was ultimately the father of the Arab nations who have largely turned against God and replaced him with the religion of Islam. And of course, as has been the case for thousands of years, Israel and these Arab nations are natural enemies. The two brothers struggled in the womb. That's Genesis 25 and verse 22. And of course, Jacob swindled Esau out of his birthright, which continued their struggle. And they have struggled ever since they've been outside of the womb as separate but related nations. The second thing we need to be aware of, and, and this is critical, is that the word hate in this context doesn't really mean what we think it does. God is basically saying that compared to his love for the nation of Israel, his chosen people, what he feels for Esau and his descendants would appear to be hatred by comparison. A good example of this type of language is found in Matthew 10 and verse 37 when Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Of course, if we really hated our parents, Jesus would be teaching us to break the fifth commandment, which tells us to honor our parents. So as a way of extreme comparison or uh, the use of hyperbolic language, our love for family should almost look like hatred as compared to our love for Christ. God is really telling us to put Jesus first and then family next. Uh, there's more I could say on this subject, but in the interest of time, I'll just leave you with this. God loves all people and gives them every opportunity to come to the knowledge of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But the nation of Israel, and by extension all who have come to faith in Christ, and are therefore grafted into the nation of Israel, 
Well, all of those people hold a special place in his heart, but he doesn't hate those outside of the faith. On the contrary, he actively and lovingly pursues them. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts on today's message, Jacob Wrestling with God. Well, Ron, the clock is winding down here, but before we leave for today, tell us about the next message in your series, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. Sure thing, Brian. We attend to the story of a man who is probably uh, one of the most uh, well-known figures, if not the most popular figures in the Old Testament, and I'm talking about King David. He is called a man after God's own heart, and he certainly is. But I call him a broken man after God's own heart. Because David's story is one of great success as well as a few huge, tragic mistakes. His life shows us very clearly how we can go from broken to blessed. And I'm really looking forward to diving into that subject next time, right here on Something Good Radio. That's Monday when Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, Cracked Pots, How the Glory of God Shines Through Our Brokenness. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening. 